Well, before we begin our, our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotav, vetzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with your commandments and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. On several occasions, Yeshua talked about making disciples. And he spoke to those who followed him and said, go into all the world and make disciples. He called us as well to go and make disciples of the goyim, of the nations. Showing something connected to what we were just looking at in Isaiah 49, 22 and 23. Which is God's plan for the world is not to exclusively do something through the Jewish people, but to use the Jewish people as a light for the whole world. And as to use the Messianic movement, as I understand it, to make disciples of Yeshua as a way of bringing the kingdom of God more powerfully into this world. Yeshua told us to go into the world and make disciples, and so we should really be clear about what a disciple is. This week's Haftorah, we're going to look at just one verse that is so powerful in helping us understand discipleship based on the Hebrew word for disciple, Talmud. It's very clear that a disciple is one who learns. How many of you knew that before? You already knew that. That's nothing new. So a disciple is one who learns, but a disciple is also one who puts into practice what is learned. So a disciple is not the same as a student who may have to learn information and then regurgitate it on a test. And a disciple is not the same as an expert. And this is why Yeshua did not say, go into all the world and make experts or go into all the world and make students. He said, go into all the world and make Talmudim, make disciples. Disciples are something more than students or experts. Well, this week's Haftorah will help us learn some important qualities of a disciple. And I want to look this morning at five qualities of a disciple. So we're gonna start by reading from the Haftorah One verse, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. If you have a paper Bible, can I see it? That's pretty good. If you are digitally inclined, you've got an electronic Bible, wave at me. You know, it's cooler at night when it sort of glows in the room with all of our digital Bibles. So turn to Isaiah 50, verse 4, and when you're there, raise your hand and show me that you're on target. Good, good. I'll read to you several translations. Here's one. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. That's a very good translation. Here's another one. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary Morning by morning, he wakens me, and he opens my understanding to his will. Let me find one more translation I want to read to you. This one is from 
the JPS translation, it says that the, the Lord, Hashem, has, has given me the tongue of those who are taught so that I should know how to sustain with words the one who is weary. And it goes on, as the others do, to describe how morning by morning the Lord wakens our ear to listen like one who is being taught. Now, the, the Hebrew phrase, Lashon Limudim, means the tongue of a disciple or, or, or the tongue of the ones who are being taught. And we really want to focus on this discipleship that is described here. So the first quality I want you to notice about a disciple is that a disciple receives from the Lord. This verse says the sovereign Lord has what? Has opened my ears. Well, we'll go to the very beginning in verse four. The sovereign Lord has given me, given me. Say given me, given me. You see, a disciple receives from the Lord. That's the very first quality of a disciple. A disciple has a relationship with God that connects that person with the living God. Now, it's important if you want to be a disciple to understand the, the key is to come into a right relationship with God. And whenever a person is trying to get right with God, they're confronted with everything that separates them from God, with their sin, with their failures. And that is why everyone who's coming to God needs an atoning sacrifice. And this is where Yeshua's sacrifice on the cross is so important to us. Because we are guilty of sin, isn't that true? The person sitting next to you is guilty. But not only that, they're sitting next to someone who's guilty. You, me, we are guilty of sin, it's true. And if we were brought before a court that was harsh and trying to judge us only on the basis of our guilt, do you know what? We would all be in big trouble. And so we're thankful that we have a court of mercy that looks upon us and decides that we will be found as if we were innocent because our sins are forgiven. That requires that the atoning sacrifice of Yeshua is presented as the blood sacrifice that covers our sin. So a relationship with God really requires an atoning sacrifice and that requires Yeshua. The disciple, however, is not just someone who simply makes a profession of faith. A disciple lives for God. And it says that the disciple receives from the Lord. Now to receive from the Lord, you have to have an ear that listens. How many moms and dads here in the room, you can remember when you said to your child, you're not listening to me? Who, who remembers that? And it doesn't even matter how old they are, does it? And when we say that, we don't mean that their physical ears aren't working. Well, sometimes we don't. I remember when our son was a teenager, 
and somehow he, he was deaf when take out the trash was spoken. But he could be upstairs in the far side of the house and we would be downstairs in a closed room and we could be talking about some plans that we had that we were making that did include him that he wanted to be involved in. And somehow he could hear through the walls. But I don't think that it's really physical ears that we're talking about, it's spiritual ears. For every physical sense that we have, there's a spiritual sense. And so you have ears, you have spiritual ears. You have the capacity to spiritually receive from the Lord, to hear from him. Now being a disciple is not dependent on whether you're young or old. You can be a very young person and still be a disciple of the Lord. Do you remember when Jeremiah was just a lad? And the Lord called him and said, you're going to be my prophet to Israel and the nations. And what was Jeremiah's response? I'm too young. And Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I can't do this. How can I know if I can even hear you? It's funny because he's actually hearing the Lord at that moment. The argument, the discussion is taking place because he's hearing. Do you see that? And the Lord says to him, I'm going to speak things to you and I'm going to show things to you. And then he asked Jeremiah what he hears and what he sees. And you know what? Jeremiah is receiving from the Lord, even though he's a lad. The prophet Samuel, do you remember? Just a child, thought Eli, Eli the priest, was calling him. It turned out it was the Lord who was calling him. Many times children are able to receive from the Lord and then become disciples because their hearts are just open and God wants to do something through them. So there's not a limit. You don't have to read, reach a certain age in order to become a disciple. We like to think that there is, you know, like, well, at a, by a certain point, you should make a decision for the Lord. But some people don't make a decision to follow God until they're 50, 60, 70 years old. Isn't that true? And so you can be old as well and begin to follow the Lord and become a disciple. Now, every one of us has the capacity to receive from the Lord, and that is something we were talking about last week when we were looking at the Shema and the Vehafta. Shema Yisrael Adonai, Lahen Adonai, Chad. Listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Every one of us has the capacity to listen you can receive from God in a spiritual way by listening to him. It does require intention, and it does require time. You can't just be off doing your own thing all the time, going your own way and expect to hear from God. He's not just gonna, he is not going to bombard you like advertising does. He is going to reach those who are looking for him. If you seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will find him. So the disciple receives from the Lord. That's the first quality. It's a little bit different than knowing about the Lord. It's receiving from him. Now the second quality is, is related to the first one. The disciple is able to pass on to others what he or she receives from the Lord. 
Disciples both receive and give. We do both. And some of the most valuable help that you will be able to give other people is based on the help you received in a similar situation or condition. The comfort you received when you were mourning or going through difficulty enables you to comfort others who are going through difficult times. The provision that you receive during times when you could not provide for yourself enables you to encourage other people that God will provide for them too. The healing that you receive from your own sickness, disease, or physical problems enables you to encourage other people to pray and to seek the Lord for healing themselves. It empowers you to pray for your friends and family who are sick, that they would be healed. Now, it's important to ask, what has God done for you? To pay attention to that. To ask, how has God helped you? How are you thankful? What are you thankful for? What has God done for you? Because a disciple remembers these things in order to give thanks to God, and it is in the remembering and in the thanksgiving that we're empowered to help other people. If someone's sick and you can't remember how God has been merciful to you when you were sick, it'll be difficult for you to encourage them. If someone is coming to you and needs forgiveness and you can't remember when you were forgiven, it will be difficult for you to extend mercy to them and encourage them to confess their sin and receive mercy from the Lord. When you remember what God has done for you and you're thankful for it, it empowers you as a disciple to help other people. So that means it's important to recall what has touched you and how God has worked in your own life. And it is different, believe me, it is different than just giving information to people. What you have gone through becomes your testimony. What you have experienced enables you to talk to others about the victory of God in your life. That is so different than telling people that you read in a book something. Books are good, but they're not the same as your own experience. It's important to have experience as a disciple that you process, reflect on, so that you can share it with others. Teaching can be about information, but discipleship is not limited to information. It's connected to practical living. The third quality I want to focus on is this. The disciple is able to bring comfort and to lift up others who are weary. So it's not just expertise. It's not just information here. And it's not just sharing your knowledge and experience of religious practice or tradition. The measure here is a little different. It, it, can, it can be determined by asking this question. Do I have a positive impact on other people? Can I comfort people when they're discouraged or sad? There are times 
when people will come to you who are weary. They're beaten down, they're worn out, they're, they're at the end. How many of you have had that experience of having someone come to you and they are just at a loss for life? And God brings such people to his disciples so that we can speak words to lift them up, to encourage them. Now, how can that work? It's not just because we're giving advice or ideas. It's because the word of the Lord is powerful. Psalm 107 says, he sent his word and healed them. When God gives you his word that has an impact on you, you can give that word to others and it will impact them too. Now this is really different than giving advice to people who are in trouble. Sometimes people need advice. Sometimes people don't know what to do, they don't know how to do it, and they don't know, or they don't know when to do it. And they come to you and say, I need help, I need to know what to do or how to do it. That is a clue that you need to be practical in helping them. But I remember an experience we had over the years when we were leading small groups and we tried to teach the members of the small group to pray for each other. And that's not as easy as you would think. Do you know it's much easier to get people to give advice than it is to get people to pray? And I remember one person in, in, in our home group was asking for prayer regarding something and everyone was enthusiastic about giving advice. Now, if you've ever been on the receiving end of unsolicited advice, you know what it feels like? So people were trying to tell this woman, well, you should do this, and I had to interrupt. I spent most of my time as a facilitator that night stopping people from giving advice and redirecting them to prayer and just saying, they're She's asking for prayer, not your advice. Well, you know people can pray advice. <laughs> Under the guise of prayer and the form of prayer, you know, oh Lord, help this woman understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> it doesn't always come out that clean or easy. But what they want the person to do or they think the person should do, they speak in prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something very, very different. Many times people give advice, they have no experience with the actual advice. They don't know, does it work or not? Or they have limited experience, they're giving advice, and the advice works under certain conditions, but it doesn't work under other conditions, and they're not aware of it because they think their experience is universal experience. And so we're, as disciples, not to be limited to giving that kind of advice, we should be focused on praying for people too. And praying with understanding that the Holy Spirit will give us some guidance in how to pray. So our goal is to actually have an impact on people. To encourage them when they're tired or they've lost motivation. And that means you and I have to keep our reservoirs filled. Because if we're empty, we can't give out. There are times... I can be honest. There are times when I've gotten empty and someone comes to me and they want one more thing. And I'm thinking, I need to get out of here. 
I don't have what they need. And there's nothing wrong with getting to that place, but you know what the solution is? It's not to live in a condition of emptiness. It's to be filled again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled again and again. So if you find that you're always empty, you've got to have a strategy for getting filled up again. If you have moments of emptiness, there is nothing unusual about that. And don't try to just give out of your emptiness, though there may be moments, let me tell you, this is just the other side of the story. There may be moments when you have nothing and the Lord will give you something only when you start opening your mouth to speak. And so you have to balance out these things. But in every case, the goal is not to tell people what we know. The goal is to lift them up, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to empower them so that they will be sustained and they will be able to keep going on their own. The fourth quality I want to look at from Isaiah 50 verse 4 is that the disciple has a daily relationship with God. The first part of verse four says, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. So that's speaking of a tongue, which means I can speak to others. The other one, the other part of verse four says, he wakens me morning by morning, he wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. And so I wanna focus on the first part, the daily relationship with God, morning by morning. Say that with me. Morning by morning. Smile at the person next to you and say morning by morning. Morning by morning. Morning by morning. This may be the first time you smiled today. That's good. Morning by morning. You know what that means? The disciple's life is not a once a week thing. Some people are drawn into the messianic movement, not because they're interested in Jewish revival, but because they love Shabbat. They love the one day of the week that's given to rest. That's good, that's good, that's excellent. However, morning by morning is just as important. If you've only got Shabbat once a week and you don't have morning by morning, you're gonna be empty six out of seven days. What a terrible condition. So it's not once a week that the disciple draws close to God And the disciple is not trying to figure out how he or she can skip a day. You're like, how long can I go without connecting to God and get by? That's the same mentality of people who try to avoid going to the gas station to fill up. Do you know that you will have to go to the gas station to fill up? And if you wait until it's past empty, the light comes on, and you say to yourself, I've still got seven more miles. You're really using a dangerous strategy. You're trying to see how close you can get to empty without getting in trouble. If you use that strategy spiritually, it can be a disaster. The disciple doesn't have that attitude, how much can I get away with? How how can I survive at a bare minimum with the minimum relationship with God? The disciple has a morning by morning relationship. Now, 
Every group of people is made up of at least two parts, morning people and night owls. I'm more of a morning person. Who are the morning people in the room? Okay, now who are the night owls? Night owls. When, when I was younger, I was pastoring people who had to be at work often by seven, eight o'clock in the morning and to have time with these guys, we would meet before work. And that meant when they came home from work, they had time for their families, you know, it didn't really pull them away and they were morning people, I was a morning person. There was some point when I counted up how many such meetings I had with people and I came up with a thousand. A thousand meetings before seven o'clock in the morning, and then I stopped counting. And that was just a few years into my pastoral ministry. I stopped counting. Sandy is not a morning person. However, when she is up in the morning, she is like studying the scriptures and <coughs> praying and, and receiving from the Lord. But she's more of a night owl. And I've learned something. I can say this to all the morning people. Don't be smug about being a morning person, spiritually. Because the scriptures do talk about morning by morning. uh, Psalm 5, 3 says, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. I've got a whole list of psalms and scripture passages that that I could read to you about morning by morning calling to the Lord. There's something valuable about that. However, some people are just made in a different way and they are night people and they are uh, just as alert at night as you are in the morning. And I know people who can pray all night, but they have a hard time getting up in the morning. I remember when I was, I was uh, serving together in Rochester, New York, New York in the Messianic Congregation, uh, Shema Yisrael, and I was with Rabbi Jonathan Bernus. And Rabbi Jonathan is a night owl. I was a morning person. And it just about killed me to be with him. Because he wanted to go at night. And, you know, he was ready to keep going and to keep going and I was ready to start in early in the morning. And I did discover something. It took a while to process it. You cannot function as both a night owl and a morning person for long periods of time. It's called burning the candle at both ends. How many of you have tried to do that? And how many of you have succeeded at that? And you can say, this is the best way to live. <laughs> it's not. You really have to find your process, your time, your schedule that works for you. And so when the scriptures say morning by morning, we have to make some allowances for night people. Because the scriptures also say, during the night watch I prayed. And I've noticed most morning people ignore those scriptures. (laughs) So let's not be smug about what comes easy to us individually, let's remember that the issue is being daily with God. It's not whether it's in the morning, 
it's at noon or it's at night, it's that you learn to take time with the Lord. And it's also important to understand that when you decide to start your day with the Lord, that you'll learn you want to keep the day going with the Lord. And at various times, you'll stop and realize that you're turning your attention to him, you're listening again to him, you're receiving from him, or he's wanting to give you something to give to others or to give you some direction. And so the daily relationship is not a once a day, you know, like brush your teeth in the morning kind of thing. It's more of a, every day I want to be with God. And you start and you add to it and you grow. Now the third, I mean the fifth quality that I want to focus on, the last quality from this passage is that a disciple is open to listen to God as a disciple. This last part of verse uh, four, Isaiah 50 says, he wakens me morning by morning, he wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. To listen like a disciple. So a disciple listens differently, their ears are more open. They're more alert. They want to change, to grow up, to mature. And disciples learn to cultivate something. It's quietness in the soul. Because there are times when God wants to speak to us through his quiet voice. Not through thunder, not in a loud way, not dramatically, but he wants us to be so quiet before him that he can speak quietly into our soul. And so we have to learn to cultivate quietness. We live in a busy world. We're bombarded with messages. We we have to deal with so many things that can keep us from being quiet in our souls. If we want to be true disciples, we have to learn to cultivate a quiet soul to process the things that are disturbing our peace. The worst decisions I seem to make are those made when I don't have peace, but I feel compelled to do something. Well, I've learned the hard way. It's better to feel compelled to get the peace back and then make decisions. That's a better strategy for living than just doing something because of a compulsive need to be decisive. The disciple puts into practice what they hear. So they're listening, not for information, but for instruction and direction. That requires that the disciple works to remember. Memorize a scripture, hiding the scripture in your heart, writing a journal, taking notes on the things God is speaking to you. My wife is, is the greatest scripture journalist I know. She has dozens and dozens of journals from her daily readings and, and time with the Lord where she writes down the scripture passages longhand that really touched her and spoke to her. And sometimes she'll write notes, but sometimes it's just the scriptures. She writes the date, the time, And we can be talking about something and she'll say, the Lord was showing me something like that a year ago today. 
And I used to go, oh yeah, right. And then she'd pull out her journal, she'd flip it open to that date and show it to me and I'd go, right. Wow. It is an amazing thing. It's very important that we work to remember. We have to remember the things that God has spoken to us. That's what Yaakov, what what James was talking about when he was saying we need to hear and to do. And that our faith, our trust in God, and our deeds are connected with each other. If we disconnect them, then faith has nothing to do with life. It only has to do with the cerebral activity. Yeshua connected listening and putting into practice and basically said to to hear his words and to do them, this is real discipleship. He said that storms will come to two kinds of people. Those who hear what he says and don't do it and those who hear what he says and do it. So you and I are gonna go through storms and if you live in Florida, you know that's true. But not just physical storms, spiritual storms as well. We're going to go through storms and Yeshua said, the one who hears my words and does them is like the one who builds his house on rock and his house will stand in the storm. The one who hears my words and does not do them is like the foolish one who builds his house on sand. His house will fall when the storm comes. Now the difference between these two kinds of people is not whether they hear, it's what they do with what they hear. The one hears, remembers, and does it, the other one hears and forgets to do it or chooses not to do it. Yeshua talked about those that bore real fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, and they're different than the others because they receive the word and they keep it. They endure with the word. They hold on to the word and they do it and it brings fruit. The others receive the word and it's snatched from them. It's lost. It's crowded out. You see, the disciple hears differently because the disciple wants to keep what he or she receives from the Lord. Those who aren't disciples are less attentive about keeping it. Now think for a moment about the two great commandments which we looked at last week, the Shman Vehafta, they're one, to listen to God and to love him with all that we are. And the second one, Yeshua said, Vehafta Larecha, from Leviticus, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so this teaches us something, that disciples are both God-centered and people-centered. God is number one, to listen to him is the key. The source of power, of renewal, of all vitality is in our relationship with God. But that relationship empowers us in our relationship with other people. The apostles understood this. Yeshua expressed it clearly. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is lying. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
So love of God does mandate love of people as well. In John 13, 35, the very words of Yeshua, a foundational scripture for understanding what evangelism really looks like. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the love that we have for one another that Yeshua is talking about is the love he has for us. If you love one another the way I have loved you, he said, then all men will know that you are my disciples. So real discipleship may be different than just a profession of faith or a belief in a doctrine or a religious tradition or a religious practice. Real discipleship involves a total devotion to God as the foundation of our life, day by day, listening to him. So I want you to think about what you could do to take steps forward in the next 10 days or so. I want to encourage you to spend time over the next 10 days. Every day, spend some time with the Lord. Be deliberate about it. Pick a time and do it. And just see if you can be faithful to what you decide to do. If you're a morning person, pick a morning time. If you're a night person, pick a time that's good for you. If you're a middle-of-the-day person, pick that time. Don't feel bound by what's good for other people. Find what works for you, but try to have 10 days in a row where you spend some time with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to spend time with God receiving what's on his heart. And that requires being slow to speak and quick to listen to him. Rather than bringing just your petitions to him, bring your heart to him to listen to what's on his heart. And cultivate that quietness where you present yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm ready to receive some instruction from you. And then ask the Lord for one more thing. To bring to you someone who needs comfort or encouragement, someone who's tired or weary, and to give you something that you can speak to that person that will impact them. And when he gives you something, Make notes so you can remember it, share it with the person, and then see, did it make a difference? Because that's the final proof. It's not, did you try to do it, but did you have the impact? It's not what you know. It's not what you heard from someone else. It's not what you get here. It's what you take home with you. It's not what you hear on the radio or read in books. As important as all those sources can be, it's what God gives you that you really have to hold on to. He can give you things many different ways, but when he gives it to you, hold on to it and then have it ready when you need to give it to someone. You may have had this experience of praying that God would bring you someone who you could serve and then he brings that person to you and you recognize immediately, this is my opportunity. It may not be the person you wanted to serve. It may not be the time you wanted to serve. It may be inconvenient, it may be when you're tired, but you still already have received what God wants you to give to that person. And as you give it, you will find strength and renewal for yourself because you'll know that you are functioning as a disciple, receiving and giving. Well, I wanna pray for everyone who wants to be a better disciple in the coming year.
this month as we anticipate the coming of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the high holidays, we, we open ourselves up, we open our hearts up to the Lord. We don't just wait for Yom Kippur to try to get things right. We use this time to present ourselves to the Lord as we are preparing. We receive comfort from the Lord and then we give comfort to other people. And that is a foundation for all disciples. Everyone who wants to grow in your discipleship, let me pray for you. Lord, I lift up to you the men and the women, the young ones in this congregation who want to grow up and mature, all of us who want to draw closer to you and grow as disciples. And I pray that, Lord, these weeks ahead would be instrumental in helping us move forward. Lord, we pray for all those who are weary, all those who are discouraged, who need to be ministered to, that you would bring the right ones to each one of us that we could speak words that would lift them up and draw them close to you. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. We're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget, we have a picnic afterwards. You can, you can change clothes if you brought extra clothes. You can change in the restrooms. They have private stalls. And I encourage you to stick around. Even if you didn't bring some food, you can order food. And, and we do have... We do have our Hebrew National Hot Dog Stand available today. If you did not bring your own food, you can buy delicious Hebrew National Hot Dogs. Da-da-da-da-da. Today. Come stand with me, Rick. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom.